the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A commissioning and ascending from the one who rules and reigns over all. Next, on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. He sends out the 72, and he commissions them to heal and teach and preach the good news, and he gives them a commission. Amidst all of this, we get a clear view of the fact that Jesus Christ alone rules and reigns over all things. Hello and welcome. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're back in Luke chapter 10, looking at the first 20 verses once again. The message is called, Jesus Christ Alone Rules and Reigns Over All Things. We can say that and believe it in our minds. Do we believe it in our practice, in our daily lives? And how does this really reflect towards us, this one truth we see here in Luke chapter 10? Well, those are questions we hope to answer for you today here on the broadcast. Join us. Here now is Pastor Gary Wagner with this edition of Abounding Grace. Bear in mind what the basic instrument was among the 70 and even throughout the book of Acts for evangelism. It wasn't, like I said, simply personal evangelism, as important as that is. It was the public proclamation of the Word of God by those who were sent to preach that Word. You know, I've got a feeling that we're going to have to wait until Judgment Day to see if I'm right. That come Judgment Day, when we count everyone who was converted throughout the history of the world, that the overwhelming majority will not have been converted through personal evangelism, but under the preaching of the Word of God. Scripture said it is the preaching of the cross that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So we must appreciate today the central role of the public preaching and proclamation of the Word of God. And what does that mean? It means that our responsibility is to get people under the public preaching and proclamation of the Word of God. What has been a part of the operation here at RHC throughout our history? It has been and is, listen, to get the most truth to the most people in the widest area, in the shortest amount of time. That is what we have always lived by here. And it is why it is so important to expand our radio library. And that's what Jesus is saying to the 70 men. Get as much of the truth as you can to as many people in as wide an area as you can possibly do in the shortest amount of time. And that has determined the type of programs that we've had in our church. Beloved, the time is short and the moment is urgent. It's time for the church to stop playing church. 
Our seminars, our Bible studies, our sermons, our radio program are all for one reason. And that is to equip you to find a place in getting as much of the truth as you can in as many, to as many people as possible in as wide an area as possible in the shortest amount of time. Then notice in verses 10 through 12 the instruction that Jesus gives to these men in responding to these cities that reject their gospel message. He says, But whatever city you enter, and they do not receive you, go, in, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Do you notice? He is continuing throughout his book, emphasizing that the kingdom of God is here. People are being converted. The power of God is here in his kingdom. Where do we find it? In the preaching and the proclamation and the testifying and bearing witness to his powerful word. He says, but now if there is a city or a clan that refuses to accept that gospel, shake the dust off your feet. And the very dust that has been shaken off your feet will bear testimony on judgment day that you were there and they rejected my word from your mouth. So shake off the dust of your feet when they defiantly reject you. He said the cities that you preach to and hear the gospel along with the witnessing of the miracles that are God's proof that you speak the truth and they reject you. It is going to be worse off for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. And what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? That so-called great homosexual culture? Fire and brimstone fell out of the sky and burned up the entire metropolitan area of tens of thousands of people. And it says, you know these cities in Transjordan, these little villages and towns? It's going to be worse for them. Can this be said about us in America? Is it going to be worse for us? You know, we've heard the word preached for generation after generation after generation after generation. And if we persist in our defiant unbelief of the preached word of God, it will be worse for the cities and the counties in the United States than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember, the greater the blessings and the privileges, and the more opportunity to hear the gospel, the greater the responsibility and the culpability. Look at verses 13 through 16. A couple of weeks ago we read in chapter 9 that the disciples were eager to call down fire from heaven to burn down a Samaritan village that had rejected Christ. But Christ said no, because the time was not right. But now he is reversing himself. He's saying that there are some cities that are going to be burned down. Look at verses 13 through 16. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, unto you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works or miracles had been done in Tyre and Sidon, two pagan cities which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, pay attention, Capernaum. Jesus lived in Capernaum for a while. It was his headquarters. 
And because of that, it was considered exalted. But he says, you, Capernaum, are going to be thrust down to hell for your unbelief. And speaking to his disciples in verse 10, remember, he says, He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth he that sent me. You must understand the word woe in verse 13. It's not an angry utterance, nor is it simply a wish. It is a word pronouncing judgment. A judicial verdict by the judge of the entire human race. Woe to you, because you have heard the gospel. I've been in your presence, and you rejected my word and myself. Therefore, I, Jesus says, as the judge of heaven and earth, proclaim judgment upon you, and to hell you shall go before the end of time. Beloved, Capernaum is nothing more than ruins today. And all that is left of Chorazine and Bethsaida is black rock, and black ruins, black synagogues, and black homes, scourged by the wrath of God. Do you remember the harem principle I spoke of a couple of weeks ago? These cities were devoted to their own destruction because their defiant behavior was incorrigible. So the Lord Jesus Christ wiped these cities off the face of the earth. He said, Chorazine, Capernaum, and Bethsaida, it is going to be worse for you than it was for Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. And those were totally, completely pagan cities. And of course, the worst of all is what the Lord did to Jerusalem because of its rejection of the Savior. Now, what is Jesus' point in all of this? The point is that what Jesus said about these four cities also applies to every city and culture and nation and family and person who acts toward the preaching of the gospel in the same way these four cities did. If the gospel is preached regularly and faithfully with power and you see God working through the preaching of his word in a city, a culture, a nation, and they refuse to bow before it and persist in their hardening way against it, God will burn them down. Do not be naive, beloved. This isn't just some simple story of what happened to Four City many years ago. It is a warning to us. Why did Jesus act so, may I say, harshly against these cities? And let us not forget the two towers in New York. Why? Because when any Christian, but especially preachers, proclaim the word of God, then to accept his word is to, to accept his word is to accept the word of Christ. And to reject that faithful testimony and faithful witness, that faithful preaching, is to reject the word of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And you see, heaven and earth depend on the words of the faithful witnesses and preachers of the word of God. And when their word, their preaching is rejected, it is God himself the rejectors have to deal with. When these 70 preachers came back, they were all excited and they were jumping up and down full of joy. They said, oh, God, we had such a great success. 
out there preaching the gospel. We even had all kinds of demons subjected to us. Why was their preaching mission so successful? Look at verses 17 through 20. It says, And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. And then he said, and I'm going to add a few words here, but I'm not going to be adding to Scripture. I just want you to get a full sense of what's being said here. And he, Jesus, said to them, I know. While you were preaching, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Why were they so successful in their preaching? Was it because they were such great preachers? No, it was because the power of Satan had been broken by the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier in his life, when he was out in the wilderness, tempted by Satan himself, Jesus resisted him, and that's where the defeat of Satan began. Throughout Jesus' life, he was always casting out demons, showing that he had power over this strong man and was binding him so he could plunder his goods and deliver his captives. He would also give his disciples power over Satan so they could cast out demons themselves, again, proving Christ's victory over all the evil forces. And then in Christ's death on the cross, he dealt a deadly blow to Satan, crushing his head, which guaranteed his ultimate defeat for all eternity. And Jesus said, when they came back all excited about their success, I know, I know. For while you were preaching, I saw Satan thrown down to the ground. I saw him defeated. I defeated him, not only back in the wilderness, and I will not only finish the process in my death, but I saw Satan defeated through the preaching of the Word of God. Do you remember how the book of Romans ends? It ends with Paul when Paul says, God will crush Satan's head under your feet shortly, my church. Beloved, God will crush Satan under your feet. Christ has won the victory over Satan. Christ gives us the victory over Satan and evil. And no one, no one can harm a hair on your head without the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you'll not only defeat Satan, you're going to trample him, stomping him in the ground. You're going to tread over serpents and scorpions. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to handle rattlesnakes, my friends. That is not what Jesus is saying. He is using great imagery here. And he's saying, you'll treat Satan and his minions with scorn and derision. You Christians are going to destroy and continue to be used by me to defeat evil in this world in such a way that Satan and his dupes will look foolish and pathetically weak. Is that the way you think? No, we think of the power of the media and the power of those lunatic politicians, the power of unjust justices, the power of the perverted state school system, the power of the run amok Federal Reserve. And we say, oh, woe, woe is me. If we could just get one little lick in against this powerful, powerful empire of evil. Oh, my dear friends, that is unbelief in the least. If that is your attitude, you must ask for repentance because that is really nothing more than Satanism.
That is saying that Satan has a greater kingdom than the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. Do you believe that? Do you live like that? Then you have been duped by Satan. You see, Satan is nothing compared to our Christ. Christ's kingdom has already guaranteed the defeat of Satan through the cross. And through the faithful preaching and teaching and living of the word of God, Satan's kingdom will continue to be pushed back. And there will be a church on earth against which the gates of hell will not prevail. Do you believe and trust in that promise, my friends? If you do, that's the way you must live in this world. But when Jesus says, you will be able to conquer your enemies and they will not conquer you, that does not mean you're not going to suffer in this world. It just means Satan cannot persecute you at his will. Oh, Satan is real. And to hear some Christians speak as they shake in their boots when they think about him, you would think he is more powerful than Christ. Satan is no threat to Christ in any shape or form. Satan cannot do anything to us at will. He can only do something to us, hurt us in some way, if Jesus gives him the permission. And Jesus would most certainly not give him permission unless it was for the interest and the benefit of the kingdom of God. And when we suffer in this war, knowing that Satan has given us some wound, we know what it, that it really is the Lord Jesus Christ giving him permission, sending this into our lives to advance his kingdom. And we must say, thank you, Jesus, that I am able to suffer for your name's sake. Now, why does Jesus tell the 70 men not to rejoice in the fact that they could subdue demons? Look what it says in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Jesus says, I love it that you are successful, and I don't blame you for rejoicing, but be careful. Because though you are rejoicing in your success and getting victory over Satan by preaching the word of God, don't let that be your primary source of joy. Why? Three reasons quickly. One, according to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, some people can prophesy and cast out demons and perform miracles and still be lost. Jesus said there will be people who will come before me on judgment day and will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this and that and cast out demons and prophesy in your name? And Jesus will say to them, Depart from me. I never knew you because you did not do the will of my Father who was in heaven. You were doing your own will. Also be careful about rejoicing because it might lead to pride and false notions of greatness. You disciples have a problem with this already, he says. You've been arguing about who's the greatest among you and you don't, and you don't get all cocky now because you have been able to overcome evil by the preaching of the word of God. He says, rather rejoice, not at something that you have done, but rejoicing something that God has done for you and through you. And then, by the way, it says in verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that spirits are subject to you, but rejoice. And rejoice there is 
is present tense and it means a continuous action. You are to be constantly rejoicing throughout your life and increasingly so until you die and you see your name in that book. Constantly, every day of your life, rejoice in this primary truth that your names are written in heaven, are recorded, are enrolled, which is a perfect tense in the Greek. And a perfect tense denotes something that began in the past and continues in operation in the present and it continues into the future. So he is saying, Rejoice increasingly every day of your life that your names have been written by God permanently and eternally from here on out in the book of life in heaven. And notice also the passive nature of this verb. It doesn't say but rejoice that you wrote your name in heaven. Somebody else wrote your name, beloved. And that was, of course, God. So it should be rejoice every day of your life that God himself permanently and forever enrolled your name in heaven. What does that mean? Well, it's obviously a figure of speech. To have your name enrolled in heaven is to be justified by God. It is to have all your sins forgiven. It is to be accepted by him as one of his children. It is to be given an eternal life as heirs of promise and heirs of the eternal kingdom of God. Your name is written in the book of life forever if you are his beloved. And what is the book of life? Well, first of all, don't expect it to be a literal book published by Broadman's Press or by Presbyterian and Reformed Press with all the names of the elect in it. Beloved, the book of life is Jesus. The book of life is Jesus. And that is where your name is written. And once God enrolls your name in Christ, having chosen you before the foundation of the world, Having, you, having caused you to experience the benefits of Christ's death, by which he obtained your eternal redemption by the work of the Holy Spirit, he brings all of his power into your life. And once you have had your name enrolled in Christ, you can never be lost. And you see, that is the greatest victory over Satan that we can imagine. It would be great if... A great victory over Satan if we got rid of all the bad guys in office and put in Christians in their place. Oh, it would be a great victory over Satan if we outlawed abortion in the United States. And it would be a great victory over Satan if we could keep the civil government from interfering in our own personal lives. But the greatest victory over Satan that any of us will ever experience is that our names are enrolled forever in heaven and no one on earth or in hell can ever erase them. And Jesus said, if you want to rejoice, that's where you need to rejoice. Brothers and sisters, as we have seen today and in several other places in our study of Luke, the Lord Jesus Christ is the victorious Lord of all lords and King of all kings. Nothing can stay His hand or thwart His plans as His kingdom advances in this world. But He never promised that He will make all nations, but He has promised, and He has promised that He will make all nations and people His footstool as you and I faithfully witness and preach God's good news throughout the earth. But He also said, we will be tried and persecuted along the way as he tests and proves our faith. But 
no matter what happens in our lifetime. We must continue to rejoice because our ultimate victory lies in the fact that our names are written in the book of life and nothing can remove them. You see, we're already winners, beloved. And that must be our attitude as we march against the gates of hell, proclaiming the crown rights of Jesus Christ over every area of life. Beloved, stand firm. Stand strong. Stand boldly in the face of all opposition and let no one intimidate you. For he has promised to those whose names are written in Christ that he is with you even to the end of the world. And he and he alone rules and reigns over all things. Not just some things, all things. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. That's four zero eight eight six six five six zero seven. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB. That stands for Post Mailbox Number four zero two fourteen eighty four Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is nine five zero three two. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 